Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's get over to uh, back to the markets and get over to uh, Wells Fargo Security. The head of equity strategy joins us, Chris Harvey, to talk about what's going on in these markets. And Chris, I guess, you know, your job has been made a lot more difficult the last few days because this geopolitical risk has to be harder to forecast than anything the Fed's ever done. Yeah, I, I think that's right. The geopolitical is very hard to forecast. We are very uh, headline driven. And it's just hard to parse out. But but I think getting back to the Fed, longer term, it's really about the Fed. And, and we can talk about that as much or as little as you want. But until we get that uh, some sort of resolution on Ukraine, Russia, it, it's going to continue to cause volatility. But but again, I think the bigger picture, which I really want to focus on longer term, is the Fed and what the Fed's going to do. All right, let's go there, Chris. If you look at the WIRP function on the Bloomberg Terminal, Warp. Uh, it it's says, new and improved. It is new and improved. I love it. Pretty now. cool. Yeah. Um, talking about seven rate increases in 2022. That seems kind of wacky to me to, to use a CFA term. What do you think? That, that's your scientific term. I see. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so jargony. What I find a li- <laughs> what I find a little wacky is that they're still buying bonds. They've let seven um, hikes come into the market. And we're still buying bonds. I think when we look back over time. We're going we're gonna to realize we're going to scratch our heads. Why did we continue to do this? Why did, we, why did the Fed taper so long? And, and, and tapering did cause some of the inflation that we're seeing. Um, bigger picture, you know, the Fed opened the door. The Fed really allowed themselves a lot of optionality at the last meeting. And I think they have to reduce that optionality because people are having a hard time planning. They don't know if it's, it's 25 or 50. Uh, they don't know if it's going to be 25 at a, at a clip. They really don't know what's going to happen with the balance sheet. And I think the Fed has to reduce their optionality. They have to give people a little bit more clarity on the path that they're, they're going to take. And, and for us, we're, we're really focused on that March meeting because I don't think the die is cast just yet. If they get very aggressive, the second half economically will be a lot tougher. If they're much more moderate, I think we can have a, a, a decent year. And I think the economy will hold up just just fine. But you do think we're going to see a cut, right? You mean you just don't know if it's – I mean, uh, a hike. You just don't know if it's going to be 25 basis points or 50. That, that's right. That's right. So I, I, the market's telling you it's 25. That seems about right. Um, the Fed hasn't been real clear about things, but they, they – it would be surprising to me that they – if they go 50. Um, but, again uh, – Anything's on the table. They really need to provide a little bit more clarity. And, and that's what's happening is the market's just uncertain about what they're doing. And, and the speed of their turnaround has often surprised people. So until we get that March meeting, it's just going to be a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty, and, and a lot of guessing by market participants. Chris, we're pretty much uh, through this earnings season. Um, what are some of your takeaways here? Did that leave any maybe valuation risk you might have felt in this market? Yeah, forecasts have been slashed for earnings yeah, growth. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that I think is, is happening under the scene, we talk a lot about supply chain. Supply chain has kind of get, gotten swept away from the headlines with Ukraine and Russia. But one of the positives that I've seen is the average company is having a difficult time with the supply chain. 
But if you look at some of the larger companies, um, Apple, P&G, even Walmart yesterday indicated this, they, they seem to indicate that they, they could use their heft and their might to, to wrestle the supply chain. And they did indicate that it seems for them the supply chain or the worst of the supply chain is over, which I think is a good harbinger for other companies. The other thing I would say about earnings season is we've been talking about higher prices and higher prices, and I've never seen this kind of pricing environment. In the summertime, I was telling clients, we've never seen this kind of pricing environment in my 25-year career. Now what we're seeing on pricing is pricing is still going higher, but at a decelerating rate. And one of the things we've been talking about, does the consumer start to balk at some of these higher prices? Is the consumer, is demand a little bit more elastic now than it was last year since pent-up demand has been satisfied? And it looks like we're beginning to see that. And I think that's that's potentially a plus when it comes to inflation. Hey, Chris, you guys are Wells Fargo. You're over in Hudson Yards, right? Uh, we're, that's, that's, we have a number of offices, but one of them is Hudson Yards. That's where our trading floor is. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, what's it like over there? I mean, are people, as I know they opened this Hudson I was Yards over there people. yesterday. They open Hudson Yards. It's this amazing office complex in all the far west side of Manhattan. But it's, the High Line over there. Exactly. But it seemed to open yeah. just before the pandemic. That Diller put in. Yep, that's very cool. What's it like over there? Are there people there or is it a ghost town? Um, there are people there. And what I would say, so I, I live in New York or I live in, in the city. And what I would say is weather, um, on Saturday the weather was nice and, and people were out and about. And, and it looked like a normal day, a normal okay. spring day. Weather gets colder, people come back inside. I think the demand is there. I think people want to get out. I think they're willing to get out. And I think in the springtime, things are going to look a lot more normal. I, I think people are a lot more comfortable. Uh, yep. I also have a, a, a child that goes to school in the city, and I talk to a lot of different parents. And, and they're, they're comfortable, and they're ready to go. Yeah, and, I think so I, I agree I, with you. I, I think this city is going to explode in the next month or so. Blossom. Maybe blossom is a yeah, better term. Ex- blossom's a much yeah, better term. We hope just, it doesn't explode. Yeah, it's just going to be, a, I think there's a lot of pent up there. All right, Chris Harvey, head of equity strategist at Wells Fargo Securities. Let's talk global energy. It's not too much of a stretch there, Matt, to go from autos to global energy. But we bring in Angie Gilday, KPMG, U.S. energy sector leader. Angie, I'm looking at oil here. You know, we're it. In and around $90 a barrel, it feels like it's pretty comfortable up here. How do you think about global oil going forward, given maybe some of these geopolitical tensions we're seeing right now? Well, thanks, Paul and Matt, for having me. You know, geopolitical tensions and oil prices go hand in hand. Um, We've seen that for years. I think the real question and the challenge that we're seeing now is the undersupply in the market. You know, inventories are at the lowest level since 2003. And so that's a real challenge for us. And there's several reasons for that. But that's that's the thing we've got to overcome. Yeah. And what's interesting to me, cause we've been talking about this for a few days now, and people have been coming on saying, you know what, there's not the spare capacity out there that you think there is. Um on the other hand, we saw oil prices come down pretty drastically yesterday and this morning. Now they're bouncing back to some extent. But uh, is the idea that Iran is getting further with nuclear talks than maybe the market thought, and that capacity could come into the market? Well, that's that's an interesting uh, question because OPEC uh, plus their production quotas have not been uh, with the target output levels that they've they've committed to. And so, if you ask yourself why is that, I think uh, OPEC is looking by nature 
It's a cautious group. So they're looking long term out in the next seven, eight quarters um, before they they really unload their production. So I think Iran definitely definitely plays a role in that. Um, you know, if an, a, a deal is reached, that could be anywhere from 500,000 to 700,000 barrels per day coming back on the market. Maybe some even say as much as a, as a million barrels per, per day over the course of the year. So that's definitely something I think OPEC is, is watching. Angie, are you surprised that we haven't seen more production come on from your good friends down in Texas and Oklahoma, the, the oil patch, the shale folks? Well, not really, because the investor sentiment has changed. You know, oil and gas companies have been directed by the capital markets and, and the investment community not to grow production. They have rewarded them on returning cash to shareholders. Yeah. And so that's what they've focused on. They've really focused on getting their costs down, you know, operating with discipline and returning cash to shareholders. So it's not unexpected to me that they aren't, you know, returning to uh, very active drilling. Yep. We have seen drill counts increase. Uh, but they're being very directed and um, by their shareholders that they need to return cash. Yeah, this is discipline surprised me, that's for sure. Angie Gilday, thanks so much for joining us. National Sector Leader, Energy, Natural Resources, and Chemicals at KPMG, a proud graduate of Texas A&M. Right now, let's bring in David Dietz. He's a managing principal and senior portfolio manager, uh, strategist at uh, PPAC Gladstone Bank. David, we got uh, geopolitical risk. Uh, we've got rising interest rates. Uh, we've got slowing economy. We even have some earnings acceleration, kind of slowing down in terms of the earnings growth there. How are you thinking about this market, David? Well, certainly it's uh, a lot of things to worry about. It's a very steep wall of worry. To add to those items, of course, you've got a Federal Reserve, which is, by by all accounts, is poised to raise interest rates uh, come March. We don't know whether it's 25 or 50. And, of course, we've also got this uh, uh, options expiration day, which is enhancing the volatility. So, um, you know, it's uh, we've had three great years. This year has started uh, – kind of poorly here. S&P 500 is down 8%. The, the Barclays aggregate, the high-quality bond index, down 4%. So investors are really wondering where to go with their money here. But, you know, the flip side is a lot of the worries that we're going to be talking about today and are, are pretty well, I think, priced in. You know, we'll have to see. Certainly, let's look at the Ukraine-Russian situation. Historically, these geopolitical events are short-term mm. problems for the markets. Um, you know, I don't think it's going affect anyone's plans to go out for dinner this weekend. I don't think anyone's going to defer a car purchase because of what's going on. Now, the bad news is I think it could, uh, depending on how things work out, raise energy prices. But guess what? Unlike the 1970s, mm. we're energy independent here, so we have a lot more control. So I wouldn't let, be that, uh, let that be the reason why you dump your portfolio. Obviously, what the Fed does with interest rates and the risk of a policy error is probably issue number one for investors. Yeah. Well, in the, bad, the other bad news is even if you want to purchase a car where are you going to find it nobody's got anything on lots right and if you do see like a used uh vehicle late model along the lines of what you're looking for it's going to cost ten thousand dollars more than the new msrp so this kind of scarcity this kind of inflation it's starting to eat into corporate earnings does that worry you 
<laughs> everything worries me. But, you know, so the inflation problem is, you know, really our most important problem because ultimately that's the only reason the Fed's going to hike rates. They don't want to just have higher interest rates so they don't have a problem to solve. Um, the reasons for optimism there is where our car availability going to be a year from now. And I would submit that a lot of the inflation is due to pandemic supply disruptions. So you've got like 75 ships off the port of Los Angeles. Where are we going to be a year from now? I would submit and hope there's going to be less, depending on whether there's another variant. You've got about 5 million people who don't want to return to work. A lot of those people are concerned about illness and so forth. So I think there's reasons to believe that inflation could relax a little bit. Uh, otherwise, there's no question about it. There's other types of inflation if it gets into the you know wages and so forth that it may be more difficult. But to the extent that inflation abates a little bit, the Fed may be less aggressive, and that could allow for stocks to have a rebound here. All right, David, thanks so much. Uh, we always appreciate getting your perspective on these markets here, the benefit of your experience. David Dietz, Managing Principal and Senior Portfolio Strategist at PPAC Gladstone Bank. Where is that PPAC Gladstone it's Bank? It's in New Jersey, baby. Kind of western New Jersey, out in the horse country it's out west there. of you. Yes. Then. But there's an office in Summit because there's everything's in Summit. It's like the booming financial metropolis of north central New Jersey. Someday I'll get the invite. Yes, yeah, someday you'll get the invite. We'll get you out there. Canoe get you out on the golf course. Uh, Mr. Dietz is a member there as well. Uh, so looking at these markets here, again, kind of rolling over a little bit. Not going to oversell it. The S&P off about four-tenths of 1%. Geopolitical issues at the fore. One of the things that I do in Jamaica, believe it or not, and uh, it's embarrassing, is I play video games when I'm there. Okay. I, sometimes I just bring my consoles with me and play everywhere. Oh boy, and uh, I want to bring bad. Grant Johnson right now. He's the CEO of Esports Entertainment Group. The ticker is pretty sweet, GMBL, Gamble. Uh, it's an online gambling platform. I don't get exactly um, what you're doing, but I was thinking about it, reading through it, Grant. I love to play you know, Halo or Call of Duty or Fortnite or... Uh, Player unknown battlegrounds with a group of friends, and the only thing that would make it better is if I could bet with them at the same time. Ah. It would be sweet if I could take out like my brother or my cousin, and also they owe me ten bucks <laughs> for every headshot. Is this along the right lines? Well, you're talking the right language, Matt. And by the way, playing video games is nothing to be embarrassed about. Hey. Uh, uh, for Gen Z, or 61% of them prefer video gaming to traditional sports. So, you're yeah, but, but I'm practically a boomer. That's the yes. problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am definitely a boomer, and I still play about two hours a day. So, it's, it's, it's actually the biggest growing sector of entertainment in the world. I mean, the, the video game industry is bigger than the movie and music industries combined. So, that gives you some sense of comfort that you're in good company. What, so, what, what, what is eSports, Grant? Sure, eSports is competitive video game play. Now, eSports is a, a subsection of the larger gaming industry, and it is organized events where professional paid teams participate against each other for cash prizes. You've heard a lot of these names, you know, FaZe, Clan, and Cloud9, Team Liquid, etc. These teams compete for multi-million dollar prizes all around the world all year. And uh, that's the esports business. I, I have a, a, a gaming analogy that will probably help bring it home for the, the listeners. Because we, we have two separate software platforms. Uh, one is 
and I compare it to golf. When people watch golf, they bet on the masters, and that's professional, watching the professionals play, and you're betting on them. That's our ViGG platform. That's the platform we just launched in New Jersey. We're the first and only, by the way, licensed esports gambling site huh, in North America. Uh, our other platform is LanDuel, and this looks like it's the product you're looking for, uh, Matt. Uh, this platform allows you to compete against others in playing. So if I take this back to golf, people bet on the Masters, but far more people bet against each other when they're playing closest to the hole, best drive, best ball, you know, who's going to win the match. That's LanDuel. So we're actually having the inaugural event where we're launching this uh, software in partnership with the Hard Rock this March, uh, the 19th and 20th, also in New Jersey. Obviously, New Jersey is a constant theme here for us. Uh, We're launching with Madden, where uh, 350 competitors are coming to compete against each other on -on one-on-one mono-mono skill play for a purse, each individual game. So if you you and I are playing Madden, you win, and we both bet five bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks. You win the purse. The house takes a vague. Think of it as uh, equivalent of poker for video gaming. So why Jersey? I mean, we we were looking through your resume and guessing that you're Canadian. <laughs> uh, now that I hear <laughs> I, you, I have lived in the states. I, I, I lived in New York, Pelham, New York, for three years. But yes, I, 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 I Pelham. I love Pelham. <laughs> I I would I wanted to move to Pelham, but there's no inventory there. There's no inventory, no houses. Um, but but uh, is is Jersey because Atlantic City or um, or is there another reason? Uh, well, Jersey is one of the most, if not the most, progressive state. Uh, I mean, if you recall back in 2018, where the Supreme Court overturned the ruling allowing uh, online sportsbook uh, wagering, which started a bit of a gold rush. You know, from then until now, we had two states, which were Nevada and uh, New Jersey, that were allowing this. It's now. I think 22 states and counting, uh, and that was spearheaded by New Jersey. So they're very innovative. The, the Gaming Commission there is very innovative. The governor has gone on record stating that they want to be in the front, the you know, vanguard of this huge gaming industry and esports, uh, which is why you know we made our application. Uh, there, our auditors and our attorneys are also in New Jersey, so that that helps. Uh, we have an <laughs> office in Hoboken, and it's it's close to New York. Yep. So it has a lot of things going for it, and, and last but certainly not least, you already pointed out Atlantic City, and that's specifically why we're uh, launching Land Duel. See, I told uh, you, Matt, New Jersey, it's where it's at, buddy, I'm telling you. Uh, we, 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 we got it all. It's a great state of New Jersey. Grant Johnson, thanks so much for joining us. Fascinating story here. Grant Johnson, he's the CEO, and the company is called Esports Entertainment Group. It's a publicly traded company, trades on the NASDAQ GMBL. It's an online gaming platform, some pretty cool stuff, and again, doing some good stuff in New Jersey. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.